We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. Let me ask you, what happens when you eliminate the answer to the equation before you start to work on the problem? When you eliminate the answer to the problem before you begin the equation, it always leads to absurdity. Consider that. If I told you there is no number four, it's okay, number four is off the table. What's two plus two? What was that, four? Yeah, still. It might be, is it three and a half? Is it five minus one? Is it? What happens when you eliminate the answer before you start asking the question? What happens when you no longer believe that God created every person in his image? We've been walking through the the book of Genesis. We're going through the first 12 chapters. Doesn't match up with our reading, but we're laying a foundation because in the first few chapters of Genesis, we've said that it tells us why things are the way they are. The book of Genesis answers all these questions. The first couple of chapters in Genesis answers the question, why are we here? God created all things. Every person is created in his image. What happens when you remove the truth found as early on as the first, second, third chapters of the Bible when you remove the truth and determine or just say, well, we must be a collection of random collection of molecules. There is no God, or if there is a God, then he's he's out there. He's not really involved in our lives. If we claim that God created us in his image, then it changes everything. If we remove that from the equation, we end up with what we see in our world today. We see the governor in New York sign a bill that now allows for abortions to take place all the way to full term. And before an ecstatic crowd who applauds this decision, we see racism in our world. We, we, we seem to think that some people are more are superior to others. And so as believers, we say, no, 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 this is not the way it is. We know something else. We know something different. We've seen it in his word. I had a fascinating conversation with a college student for a couple of hours last week, and we were talking about what what does it look like when you remove God and determine that you are God? Well, Genesis tells us. You see, the entire uh, first few chapters tell us why the world is the way it is. If you've been here with us, this is what we've been talking about, the whole... um, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's all about we will choose what's right and wrong. Not God. I will choose. So the driving secular narrative, the secular gospel is pursue happiness any way you can get it. You do you. I'll do me. Without any outside authority, 
Then we see this ethical autonomy that takes place in our world, and you can decide whatever you want. God is off the table. We've removed the answer before we start asking the questions. Always leads to absurdity. The Bible tells us why the world is the way it is. But it also tells us what God has done. And how he's called us to be the solution. A part of the solution. Genesis 4 and 5, we saw what happens when sin is passed on from one generation to the next. We saw the, the Canaanite line that leads to Lamech and all kinds of sin. We saw the, the, the Sethite line that leads ultimately to Enoch who walked with God. Enoch has another Lamech. Lamech has a son who then is the hope of the world in the moment. His name is Noah. Today we come to the story found in Genesis 6. I want you to turn there. We're going to look at the flood in Genesis 6 through 8. Genesis 6 through 8. Go and turn in your Bible, please. Um, Open your Bible. We're going to have some scripture on the screen, but I want you to open your Bible. Uh, We're going to read the Bible. We're looking at the Bible. We've already read uh, regarding our sin from verses found in the Bible. And I want us to, to see where does all this lead us? You see, the Bible is the lens. It's the framework through which we understand all things. We're not questioning what's going on in the world. We know what's happening in the world. It's what the early apprentices of Jesus, Paul and others, the epistle writers and all the followers, Christ himself said, here's what's going on. Here are three things. A triad, an axis of evil at work in your life and mine. And friends, this is real. This is what the Bible tells us is happening. What we cannot see... The devil, okay, Satan, the flesh, our disordered desires, and the world. When sin becomes normalized in society, that is what's happening in the world. As believers, we don't walk into the world tomorrow in our, in our daily lives blind, not knowing what's happening. We know exactly what's happening. God's given us his word, and so he's given us then Uh, tools by which truth by which we can live when sin becomes normalized in a society what we see in a word chaos this is what we'll see today where does all this lead us well this is our story the bible is more relevant than today's news feed and with all the fake news and talk of news and bias of news There's no bias, it's clear. More relevant, more powerful than today's news. And here in Genesis 6 through 8, I want you to consider this for a moment. We're gonna jump in here. Um, Presuppositions we have. I'm trying to approach the scriptures this year without my presupposition. Now that's impossible to do. But a first reader, as you look at this, because what's happened, if you're like me, uh, I grew up, Uh, in the church. I'm curious, how many of you grew up in the church, going to church? Yes, I was talking to a man yesterday on our walk, and I said, well, I was in the church, you know, nine months before I was born. You know, some of you are like me, uh, clearly. I mean, I was, you know, there again, I was alive, okay? And and I was in in the church, and uh, again, many of you know my sweet relationship with my mom, who texted me this morning, encouraging me. I was encouraging her as she's teaching this class of women that she's teaching this morning. But I remember growing up, my first image is probably like you, little children's Bible. Uh, you've got all the, all the animals, sweet little animals, sweet Noah going into that ark with his, the rainbow, 
It's so precious. In fact, so, so precious that Stacy and I decided that our girls in nursery, many of you know we have twin daughters, and so the nursery was going to be this Noah's Ark theme, and they were coming to us two by two. And so we had, we had, a, we had a rainbow on, from one crib over to the other. We had stuffed animals. It was so sweet, and we read this story, and then you... Realize this, this is the most terrifying story in all of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, have, we didn't have like wall painting with people clamoring to get on the boat, drowning. Friends, listen. This is a, this is a horrific story. Don't miss it. This is the story of the judgment of God on sin. That's what this is. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews gives us a commentary. We're going to get to Genesis 6, but you can see this on the screen. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You might know that chapter 11, right? It's the hall of faith that's been called. By faith, Noah obeyed God. He builds a ship in the middle of dry land, 100 miles from water. He builds a boat. He acted on what God had told him to do, and he drew a, his faith, drew a sharp line between the, the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteousness, the rightness of the believing world. He becomes this testimony, a witness, and now God has called us to be and to do the same. And that's what this story is for many of us. But I want you to see what we've been saved from. So let's look at the flood. Genesis chapter 6 through 8. The first thing I want you to see is that sin leads to chaos. Just a few points here, and if you're taking notes, the first one is sin leads to chaos. We see this in Genesis 6. Now, I'm going to cover 6 through 8. Of course, we're not going to read all this, but we see the line of Cain led to hundreds of years of horrific sin. And then we see in verse, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Then it says in verse 4, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now this is some anthropomorphism is what's happening here. God does not make mistakes. He, he didn't see, it's not like, I didn't see this coming. He, he's saddened by his beloved humanity that he has created, given us choice, okay? True love is chosen love. He gives us choice. We choose not to love him. The Lord says then in verse 7, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. And then in verse 8 we see, But Noah, we're going to see this a couple times, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here we see for the first time in the Bible, in the Hebrew, the word is khan. Khan is a word translated in the Greek Septuagint. It's the word grace. 
We're in the sixth chapter of the Bible and we see grace. Now we've already seen a prophecy pointing toward Christ who would crush the serpent. But here we see that Noah is graced by God. Noah found grace, not because he was perfect or or because somehow he dodged original sin. But God extends grace to him. But why? Because he had faith and, and he walked with God is what it says. Verse 9, it says Noah was righteous. Look at this. Let's continue on. Look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. There it is. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then he goes on to describe it in great detail, specifically what he's to do. This this ship is to be 150 yards long. It's three stories high. And Noah gets to work. Noah is God's man, and God calls him out. But I want you to see the chaos in the world during that time and consider the chaos that we see not only in our world but in our own hearts. You see, chaos is seen as as imagery in the Bible, and, and it's often used as it's water. Water is chaos. The sea is chaos. In fact, before creation, you might remember, it was formless and void, Chaos, darkness covered the earth, chaotic darkness, and yet the Spirit of God was over the waters, it says. Before there was land, before you divided water from land, it was chaos. We see this in the flood to come. We see it in the Red Sea, the chaos that would come, the destruction that would come. We see it throughout the Psalms. We see Jesus calming the waters of chaos before the disciples. Because you see, sin leads to chaos in your life and in my life. Consider the chaos in your life. Consider the the brokenness, the destructive things in your life, habits you can't overcome. Consider destructive things, addictions perhaps, attitudes in your life, chaos. What sinful attitudes do you bring to your relationships that bring chaos? Disorder in the home, in the workplace, Chaos in your marriage. Augustine, the great theologian of the first thousand years of the church, he described sin as disordered love. Love out of order leads to chaos. When God is not loved first and then everything else, everything else falls into place, there's chaos. Chaos ensues when parents uh, don't lead the children to the Lord. Chaos uh, ensues when when fathers abdicate the spiritual leadership in the home. Chaos ensues when children don't fall under the authority of their parents who are under the authority of God. Chaos takes place when kids aren't subservient and obeying them before God. Where do you see chaos in your life? The result of sin, maybe the sins of others, but today we're looking at ourselves, perhaps my own. Sin leads to chaos, but I want you to see, secondly, sin results in judgment. Chapter 7, this story calls many people to question the love of God. 
We consider this, many of us here today, we, we look at this story and we think, first of all, we wonder, is this real? Really? And that we could go a long time about evidence for a universal flood. There's lots of debate about that. But remember this, with all the questions we've asked and you could ask about the first few chapters of Genesis, the way we've landed here is this, after all the questions, it's, it's true. This is true. It's alive, it's active, it explains why the world is the way it is. And today, we're going to see what, what are the results of, of societal uh, sin. When sin becomes normalized in my life, in my family, in, in a community, we, we hear people demanding for justice in our world today, and rightfully so. But when God does bring judgment or justice, consequence for sin, we think he's not loving. And here's the other thing. I know this is true in my life. I sure want him to bring justice and judgment upon others. But when it turns back on me, and he wants to discipline me, he wants to bring consequences for my own sin. Well, I start to question his love. Is he really loving? You see, we point the finger at others. We want God to deal justly with the sins of others, but not us. And I believe the way that he brings judgment, if you will, and I hope you get this right today. Listen, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's where this story is going. There's an ultimate judgment that is coming, but I believe in the life of the believer uh, we face the consequences of our sin still. And we see this. We face consequences of our sin, but we, we think that God is not loving. In chapter 7, verse 12, look at this. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 22, everything on land, on dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life. God gives breath to every living, breathing thing, and everything died. And we need to pause for a moment and look at this story. This is a good word for us as we're reading the scriptures through. Um, when I came to this some years ago, I realized that I don't have a proper perspective often. I'll read the passage of scripture and I will identify, we all do this, whether consciously or not, we identify with someone in the story, right? Who are you in this story? I mean, I'm, I must admit, when I first approached it, wow, I'm Noah. That's, I'm getting on that ark. I am Noah is who I am. It's like approaching the parables of Jesus, right? He talks about the, you know, the vineyard workers and there's the last hour worker and we read that and we think, that's not fair. He pays all of them. You know why we think that's not fair? I'm the first hour worker. I got there early. I've been working. I've been faithful. And the whole point of the story is, is Jesus saying, you're not the first hour worker. You're the last hour. We look at the, the story of the prodigal son. We think what a jerk that older brother is. The whole point of the story, you're the older brother. Every now and then we read scripture rightly. And when I do this, I'm going, this is about me. You know who you are. Apart from Christ, you know who you are in this story. You're dead, that's who you are. You drown, that's who you are. We're not Noah. Sin brings judgment upon people, and yes, those of us who are in Christ, okay, make that distinction. We'll be clear before this is all over. The central truth of this story, sin brings judgment upon us. This is the essence of the story. 
So let's not forget, though, that Noah was the odd man out. He was the only one that God told that this was going to happen. He's the only one walking with God, it seems. He's the only one mentioned. And so he's seen this crazy. Friends, listen, the darker the world gets, the crazier you're going to see. The crazier you and I are going to appear. I'm seeing a shift in our nation in my lifetime. What was once called evil is now called good. What was once called good is now called evil. We're seeing a flip. And the more we follow God, the more we will be persecuted. But i got to ask you, are you seen as different because of your obedience to God? Do you stand out as being different because of the way you love others? Because of the way you follow God in your workplace, in your school, in your community? Noah was different. So much so he was persecuted. For 120 years or more, he built an ark. See, some of us are being obedient. This is a good word for some of us. You're being obedient, you're following the Lord, but you're waiting. You're waiting. You're waiting. Continue to walk with God. Continue to be obedient to Him. Don't give up. Noah was walking with God. And so, listen, the outgrowth of his walking with God was obedience. See, he was seen as crazy, not because he talked about a flood that was coming. So when I say be different, I don't simply mean, hey, just go after everybody who doesn't agree with you. That's not what I'm talking about. Just go on Facebook and just tell everybody how wrong they are. It's the worst place to try to witness to people. Instead, show by your obedience, by the way that you love, the way you lead, the way that you serve, show everybody how crazy you are. See, Noah was seen as crazy not because he said there's a flood coming. He was seen as crazy because he was building an ark. That's why he was crazy. Our faith must take action. Our faith must have works along with it. Or the Bible says in the book of James, it's not faith at all. It's not faith at all. Are you like Noah? Are you walking with God? You see, he pressed on with optimism. He continued to work and to serve the Lord and his obedience, I'm guessing, was difficult at times. He was wondering when that's going to rain. I bet there were times when he's thinking, I'm about two thirds of the way through this thing. I'm not, I, I, hope, I hope this is right. Many times that's the way it is when we follow God. I don't know that he whistled while he worked the whole time. I bet he hit his thumb a few times with that hammer. I bet he got frustrated in his work. Ministry, work can be hard. Some people just give up. It's too hard. As if we thought it's going to be easy. We've got an enemy that's working against us. He didn't whistle while he worked. You know what he did? He worshiped while he worked. He worshiped while he worked. He walked with God, and so his obedience was an outgrowth of his walking with God. See, many believers are joyless because they're not walking with God. They're seeking to obey without an intimate relationship with him. When that's the point altogether. God desires you more than anything you might bring to him. Any work you might do, he wants you to walk with him. But we need to see, too, that Noah was not a perfect man. And to be clear, there were not just sinners outside the ark. There were sinners in the ark. When the rains came and the floods came, they got in the boat. He and his family got in the boat. Not because he was sinless, but because God graced him. 
God chose him. And consider this too. Everyone drowned in the flood. I mean, if we, if we were to really think through this, I mean, old women died in the flood. Old men died in the flood. Babies died in the flood. Children died in the flood. The nicest man on the street died in the flood. The most successful man in the community died in the flood. And the whole point of this story, friends, is this. There's another flood coming. There's another flood coming, not by water, but by fire. The judgment of God is coming, and all of humanity will be judged by a holy God. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for every person to die once and face judgment. And I want us to look at this judgment for a moment. When's the last time you heard a message about the judgment of God? See, Jesus said in Matthew 24, you can see it there on the screen, for as were the days of Noah. Okay, the flood is referenced 25 times uh, throughout Scripture. We see it often in the New Testament. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marry, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, a herald, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, his family, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, it goes on to say this, it goes on to say, If he's done this, the Lord is able to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Listen, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There's a day coming when all things will be made right. And we don't have to, we don't have to curse others and declare judgment upon them. We can correct. But God is going to make all things right. God graced Noah. He knew something. That no one else knew. And those of us who know Christ, we know something that others don't know. I think some of us have taken a pass. We've come to believe the words that are accredited to St. Francis of Assisi. Share the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. I understand the sentiment. Let's live holy lives so they see us and wonder what's happening. Jesus himself said, let, let others see your good works that they might glorify God in heaven. But listen, Scripture is clear. No one was ever saved by my good works. News needs a newscaster the gospel is news and Noah preached to the people and they did not listen he preached his heart out and they did not listen to his message and respond have you heard friend have you heard the message do you know what's coming I want you to turn to second Peter chapter 3 before we close turn to second Peter 3 it's uh, way back in the New Testament and uh, you find it after what? Hebrews is a rather larger book there. James, first, it's right after 1 Peter. 2 Peter, how about that? Uh, for 2 Peter chapter 3. Here in this passage, Peter references this story we're looking at in regard to a coming judgment of God. He uses the story of Noah as, as a type, we call it in theological terms. It's just foreshadowing 
of what is to come. There's a greater judgment to come. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, he says. Beloved, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind. This is what I'm trying to do today by, by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Everything's right on track. I want you to see what this passage shows us. It tells us that the judgment of God is certain. He's saying it's coming. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water, there it is, and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So he's saying that that's what happened. It was sin that brought about the flood. So God's judgment, not only certain, God's judgment is just. It reveals his justice. Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Watch this, there's the coming judgment, not of water, but by fire. This is a refining image of God's holiness, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, slowness but, but he's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's judgment, you see, is certain, it's just, it's patient. His judgment is patient. He's waiting for reasons we do not know, but we do know this today. If you have not received Christ, he's waiting for you. Today is your day. He's been patient with you. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord of uh, the, the day of, of, of our God? We sang about it earlier, didn't we? Lord, haste the day, bring it on, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they, as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Listen, his judgment is specific. It's certain. It is coming. It is just, it's patient, it's specific. The flood shows us the effects of sin. It reveals the magnitude of God's wrath against sin, his holy reaction to sin. But it also shows us the magnitude of his grace. Number three, and finally, God can rescue you from chaos. Praise be to God. 
He has rescued us from this pending judgment, those of us who are in Christ. The turning point in the story is this. Chapter 8, verse 1, we see it again. But God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a, made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The ark then lands on Mount Ararat in verse 4 of chapter 8, verse 20. Noah builds an altar and worships God. The rainbow is a sign of his covenant. Some have said this universal sign all around the world. It seems to point to a universal flood. Chapter 9, he, he hits restart, God does. He hits restart and he says, I'm going to bring back the first commandment, the cultural mandate, be fruitful and multiply. As we talked about last week, this is now our calling and the great commission to go and make disciples, be fruitful and multiply. Friends, listen, sin leads to chaos. Sin results in judgment, but God has come to rescue us from our sin. And if you are in Christ, you can praise him. There is a better Noah. If you've not received Christ, you need to know this. There's a better ark. Christ is the herald. Christ is the one. He is the herald of righteousness. He is our righteousness. The church is the herald of righteousness. You and I are the herald of righteousness. You're a witness to what God has done in Christ. Noah built an ark with nails and wood. Man came along. He built a cross and he nailed Jesus upon the cross. Christ dies on the, on the cross for us. Christ built an ark and all who get on the ark, all who are in him, who climb aboard are saved. Christ alone saves us from this coming judgment. In fact, this whole story is really what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 and 9, you can see it there. Let's all read this together, proclaim this truth. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The flood reveals the magnitude of God's holiness. Reveals the magnitude of man's sinfulness. It reveals the magnitude of God's wrath and the magnitude of his grace. Praise be to God. It's by grace through faith, believing in what he has done. Get on the ark. Receive Christ because all who are in Christ are rescued by his salvific work upon the cross. Friend, let me ask you, have you heard? Well, now you have. If you don't know if you're a believer, if you've not received Christ, you have heard the message today, and today is your day. And this should be your prayer, the prayer of every one of us. Lord, remember me. Remember me. Save me from the coming judgment that every person apart from you will face. So what will be your response? The Bible says that Noah built an altar and he worshiped God. Now we know he wasn't a perfect man. He enters into sin immediately. He gets drunk and some sketchy thing happens with his sons. He's not a perfect man. But God favored him. He graced him because he believed. Let's all pray together as we commit our lives, our hearts to him right now. I want to ask you, friend, again, right now, if you've not settled this before the Lord, you, only, you have time. You still have time to receive his grace right now. Ask him to come into your heart to rescue you from the coming 
judgment upon sin. God is holy. He's just. He's right to punish sin. Not to do so. He would no longer be just. He would not be a loving God. But His judgment has come upon His Son. And on the cross, we see the collision of the wrath of God and the love of God for each one of us and for you today. Christ took upon Himself the punishment that should have been yours and mine. And we are saved from the coming judgment. If you're a believer, praise Him. Praise Him right now and commit to live your life this week obedient to Him that others might see that you too are crazy in love with God because of all He's done for you. Friend, if you've never received Him, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sin. I give You my life. Lord, we worship You with our lives. It's the only right thing to do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.